Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The 2021 session of the Utah Legislature begins on Tuesday. We're going to get a preview of possible priorities, key legislation, the key players today on the program. Utah Capitol Building will be closed to the public on opening day due to security concerns. Issues likely to be addressed by the legislature include tax cuts, education, economic effects of the pandemic. Later in this hour, we're going to be talking with Damon Kahn, professor of political science at USU. Uh, our guests uh, in this part of the program is Holly Richardson, editor of uh, Utah Policy Daily. Holly, Holly Richardson has also written for the Salt Lake Tribune, uh, been a member of the Utah House of Representatives, worked on multiple political campaigns, and been chair of a Real Women Run, among uh, other uh, many other things. Uh, Holly Richardson, it's a pleasure to welcome you to Access Utah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, for being on with me. Uh, so um, I wanted to start with a, a little bit from your website, uh, hollyrichardson.org. I was receiving some therapy there. Um, so you, <laughs> much needed. Let me just read this. You, this, is, this is the very top of your website. Okay, let's have some real talk for a second because holy pandemic, forget the personal growth stuff. How about survival? Because all the things, all the things, <laughs> and we could add to the we could add to the pandemic, uh, all of this political stuff, and it feels like I don't know. I'm having existential angst about our democracy. Um, you were going right. to say here, there's one thing I know for sure: it will get better. So, so <laughs> continue my therapy here. It will get better. You're saying uh, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I saw something last week where people said it, it's not it's not January. It feels like March four hundredth. Yeah, it does. <laughs> sure, it sure does. Boy, uh, you were an article for Salt Lake Tribune. You talked about uh, pandemic fatigue, um, yeah. and you cited some some interesting examples from the nineteen eighteen uh, flu uh, pandemic. Um, yeah. And it was I, I, it was oddly comforting to me to, to to know that there were mask protests then, and there was skepticism about science then, and that, you know I, I guess that was comforting to me that I, we got through it then, right? Yeah, and you know one of the things that uh, I mean maybe it's funny, maybe it's disconcerting a little bit, but it seems like we're like really there's a lot of lessons in 1918 that we could have learned that we didn't learn, <laughs> so. So there was a T-shirt that a friend of mine bought earlier this year, and it said, don't make me repeat myself, a quote from history, right? <laughs> so, um, that's, it is, you know, and in 1918, we didn't even have germ theory really yet, and so people didn't really know what viruses were or how they spread, but they did realize that mask wearing was beneficial, but, but people got tired of it, right? And and you see, I think you see it today when you... Uh, implement a really strong mask mandate and people start to wear them and the rates go down and then things start to open up again. And then when you ask them to do it again, if your rates start to spike, people are like, I'm done. I, I'm just, I am done. Right. So lots of similarities. Yeah. And, and some lessons we didn't learn then, and maybe we're not learning again now, um, you know, as we go through this. Um, does, does the vaccine give you hope? Do you, do you think we're looking at the, the end of this, quote-unquote, you know, um, back to normal summertime, fall? I, I, I'm probably not the best person to give a timeline. <laughs> I do think the vaccine does give hope. I do think there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but I think it's a really long tunnel. 
And, and again, I'm afraid that um, personally that, that looking at a vaccine as, quote-unquote, the solution um, is going to let people feel like they don't have to continue to social distance or wear a mask or, you know, use hand sanitizer or whatever it is because it's not an immediate effect, right? I mean, you're, we're still working through the highest priority people. I'm way down the list as a mom and my kids, and, you know, I work from home now. I mean, I'm nowhere near the list. We're still at the very top, and it's going to take quite a while, I think, to work all the way through that. Mm-hmm. We'll talk briefly about your new role, uh, editor of Utah Policy Daily. This is this is quite new, I think. It is. I just started in the middle of December, and so I've been going for about a month now, and um, it's really been fun. Uh, it's it's kind of pushed me back into the political world. Uh, more completely. <laughs> so it's full time, and um, I got my nose in the news all day, and then I write about it also. So it's been a lot of fun. Uh, so, um, politics, it's been part of your life. You know, not, I guess not all of your life, right? Uh, your first degree was a registered nurse, right? And yeah, that's right. Childbirth educator, a doula, a midwife, and um, a lot <laughs> yeah. of, um, you know, had some kids and then added a bunch more kids through adoption, right? And a, a whole other life there. I did. Um, but yeah. you have been a member of the uh, Utah House of Representatives, uh, worked on, uh, I don't know if you're still chair of Real Women Run, but you've worked on that. Uh, so a lot of politics in your life. I'm the immediate past chair of Real Women Run. But yeah, I've been involved in Utah politics for about 20 years, and it actually had to do with me being a midwife. Um, 20 years ago, just a little bit over 20 years ago, a midwife was arrested and charged with practicing medicine without a license. And there were some of us who thought that the law was wrong, not that she was wrong. And so we actually got a coalition together and we worked to um, change legislation. And we didn't have any idea what we were doing when we started. It took us five sessions. Um, but we were successful. It's still the law of the land. It's legal to be a direct entry midwife in Utah. And I found that I loved the political process. I don't love campaigning nearly as much, although I do like talking to people, but I love policy discussions. I love um, getting to hear people's stories. And I think one of the things I really learned in my um, time in the legislature was that there is never just one side of the story. There's usually not just two. There's usually multiple sides. And we get better policy when we take the time to get input from multiple people. Um, I think uh, Lieutenant Governor Henderson, when she just gave her inaugural address last week, she talked about asking that their administration wanted to ask whose voice is missing at the table and, and being proactive at reaching out and finding those people. And sometimes it's the loudest voices that get listened to, but we really need to be careful that we're reaching out and hearing from people who are often overlooked. Do you think the process is, still works, uh, at least on the local level and, and the Utah level? It, it, you know, there's a lot of angst uh, about the, the system, at least on the national level, falling apart, getting more yeah. and more polarized and therefore paralyzed. Yeah, I, I think on the local level, um, at least even in state government, but even all the way down to the city and county level, it works a lot better um, when the government is closer to the people. So... So we do have Republicans and Democrats, and sometimes there's some anger that flares. But, but by and large, the, the legislators know each other. They know their families. They know each other's kids. Um, and they get along pretty well. And so I, I think that's something that's really important to understand, I think, with Utah politics, is that even though there's some 
some real rancor. And, and look, all legislators end up with hate mail, Republican, Democrat alike. There are people who just feel like the best way to express their opinion is to do it with expletives and um, name-calling. But that's not actually very effective in making change. And so um, what we see at the, at the more local level is that, that people who are able to come in, even if you disagree, but if you're able to come in and tell a legislator, look, I really have some concerns, and here's why, or have you thought about this angle, or this has been my experience. It works much better, right? Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Uh, what are your thoughts, um, you know, as a former legislator, as a former advocate for the leg- legislature, about the uh, decision to, to close the Capitol, um, at least on the well, opening, I, opening I certainly day? Under- yeah, I certainly understand that decision, and it's it, that particular decision is based on security issues where there's credible threats for all 50 state capitals and the nation's capital um, on certainly on Inauguration Day, which is January 20th, but on the, the days leading up to it, including this weekend. So I understand that. Um, the other thing, too, that's interesting, though, is that because of the pandemic, the, e- even once those security issues feel like they have kind of cooled down, if they reopen the Capitol, it's going to be limited, right? And and I think what that does is it actually levels the playing field so that members of the public have a better opportunity to get their voices heard um, in comparison, for example, to the lobbyists who, during a normal legislative session, they will spend all day every day at the Capitol, and legislators can have um, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, and social events provided for them by these lobbying uh, individuals or organizations, and, and that's not going to happen this year. So I think what that does is it really opens up the opportunity for members of the public to get their voice heard, um, to, to, to really ha- have a little bit more of a equality when it comes to being able to talk to legislators. Interesting. Yeah. What were your th- uh, th- thoughts? You're plugged in politically, and you've, you've been at the state capitol a lot. Uh, what were your thoughts when the capital, U.S. capitol was stormed? <laughs> well, um, actually, um, I think it was uh, seditious. I think it was certainly an insurrection. Um, I-, I think it was planned for weeks in advance and that the threats weren't taken um, seriously. I think now uh, they will always be taken more seriously. And I think we've seen the um, a lot of fallout from... I, what's interesting to me is the, like the private corporations. So pe- corporations who've donated to political um, candidates are withdrawing their support. Um, Delta Airlines has issued a no-fly ban on, I think I saw almost 900 people based on their going to the Capitol to participate in a riot and trying to storm the Capitol and overthrow the results of an election, which of course they never would have done. But um, yeah, I, it's deeply disturbing to me. Hmm. Of course, this is unprecedented. A second time, president has been impeached. At, um, or, uh, president impeached for the second time, I should say. Um, Utah's uh, delegation, uh, I think, voted all voted against impeachment. I see that Representative Curtis was in, I think, in favor of censure. Yep. Yeah, that's correct. And uh, those are the members of the House. So there were only ten Republican House members who voted in favor of the article of impeachment yesterday. What that means is it's actually double the previous uh, highest number of the opposite party voting for impeachment. 
So it's very rare. It's usually a one-party thing. Um, and so you have 10 House members who've crossed over to vote for impeachment. None of Utah's, uh, none of Utah's delegation did. But Curtis and Moore both said that they were um, deeply concerned about the unrest, and Curtis went as far as to say he did believe the president was inciting the insurrection, and he believed that the, the best path forward, uh, all things considered, would be to censure the president. And, of course, there are people who disagree with that as well. And, 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 and there's other things being talked about, too. Um, invoking the 25th Amendment is not going to go anywhere, and that's when the vice president takes over for an incapacitated president. Um, but so is the 14th Amendment, which says that if members, elected members, are involved in insurrection, that they might not be seated. And, and I think that might actually, we'll see if there's some discussion on that um, for other Congress people who are involved. Of course, when this comes to the Senate, uh, there'll be a lot, you know, spotlight on our two senators. Yep. Um, and, and, of course, uh, Senator Romney was the, the, the only Republican voting in favor of an article of impeachment last time around. Yeah, and I, I, I don't have any inside knowledge on how he's going to vote this time, but I would not be surprised at all if he votes for impeachment this time. Um, and I would not be surprised if there are multiple Republicans who vote with him. But in order to convict on the article of impeachment, they will need to have all the Democrats, and I think I saw 16 or 17 Republicans, who cross over and vote um, to convict and then remove the president. And um, most pundits that I've seen don't think that that's going to happen. They, they think that there will be some, but not enough to convict. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we go to a break, and then we'll come back off the break, we'll, we'll move to the Utah legislative session, which is coming up. Um, I wonder what, uh, you know, you've, you've been plugged in politically, at least on the state level, local level. Um, but as you look at the national level, uh, boy, it just seems to get more and more depressing, more and more polarized. Uh, do you, you have hope that we can come back together? So, one of the one of the issues is we're not just seeing policy differences; we're seeing contempt. Right? We have a crisis of contempt, and um, Arthur Brooks has written about that extensively. Boyd Matheson at the Deseret News has written about it. And, and when you have contempt for other people, it, it makes it really hard to come to the table. But I think for most Americans, we do have a desire to see a functional government. We do have a desire to have um, respectful discussions. And I actually think that um, the Biden-Harris administration is going to really be proactive at trying to mend some of those gaps. I really do think that they're going to do that. If you just joined us, we're talking with Holly Richardson. She's the uh, new editor of Utah Policy Daily. Um, and uh, we're going to, after a break, uh, get into talking about the 2021 session of the Utah legislature. Give you a bit of a preview of some of the key players and uh, possible legislation priorities there. Uh, you're welcome to join this conversation to email upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. We'll have more following this break. 2021 legislative coverage on Utah Public Radio is supported by Southern Utah University with online programs designed to provide flexibility and affordability, helping accelerate the path to professional achievement with a variety of degree options. Information available at suu.edu online. And coming up this evening, we have a special Access Utah episode.
LA Theater Works is the nation's leading producer of audio theater, providing public access to world classics, modern masterpieces, contemporary and original works that speak to the issues of our times. I'm Susan Lowenberg, founder and producing director of LA Theater Works, heard Friday evenings on Utah Public Radio. Join me for a special Access Utah program Thursday, January 14th at 7 p.m. to discuss the process of producing the LA Theatre Works National Broadcast Series. Together, we'll reflect on the impact of broadcasting theater during a time when attending a live performance is limited. And we'll talk about what it takes to turn a show designed for the stage into a unique theater experience on UPR. Join me Thursday, January 14th at 7 p.m. on Utah Public Radio. Details at upr.org. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah today. Uh, coming up, we'll be talking with Damon Can, who is a professor of political science at USU. Right now, we're talking with Holly Richardson, who is uh, editor of Utah Policy Daily. Um, which you can find at utahpolicy.com. Um, so Holly Richardson, of course, a new administration, uh, the now the Cox administration, a new governor. Uh, so the new priorities, of course, uh, in some ways a, a continuity because uh, he's the former lieutenant governor. He is, and um, his lieutenant governor, Deidre Henderson, is a former senator. She was uh, in the Senate for eight years. So... There's some continuity, and there are some differences. And I think one of the things that you'll see is a difference in the relationship between the governor's office and the and the legislature. We'll see, but but I think you may find more um, ability to communicate and work together um, on priorities. So the legislature is the one that actually passes the budget and funds and passes policy. The governor's office, the executive branch, can release their budget proposal, which they have done um, this week, and talk about what their priorities are. And then it's up to the legislature to decide whether they're going to agree with the governor um, or kind of go their own way or some combination of both. And in this latest budget, um, Governor Cox and Lieutenant Governor Henderson talked about really funding um, education in equalizing access to students around the state. I mean, one of the things they've been talking about is a zip code should not define the quality of your education in the state of Utah. So that's one thing that's really important to them that they've they've been talking about. And, um, you know, to hear um, Governor Cox talk about it, if you had not had a pandemic, the whole campaign would have been focused on education and equality in all corners of the state. Uh, what about the pandemic? Uh, of course, uh, some of this is uh, federal, but uh, will there be any uh, bills moved or legislation regarding the pandemic? Um, there probably will be some legislation, and I think some of the legislation will not be um, necessarily specific to the public health aspect of the pandemic, but the communication aspect between um, the health department, the executive branch, and the legislature. Um, I know by the mid to late fall, there were legislators who said, we still have no idea what's going on. Like, we don't know. We feel like we're out of the loop. We, we just don't know what's going on. And so I think you might see some legislation that addresses um, keeping keeping the legislative branch in the loop. So we'll see how that goes, but I anticipate that. Hmm. Uh, it looks like, reading stories uh, talking about tax cuts uh, this session, do you think that's likely? 
Yeah, I do think that's likely, and it's it's a it's a winning message to voters when people are up for election the next go round. Hey, I cut taxes, right? Sometimes it's hard to continue funding. It's hard to explain a tax increase. Um, but for example, the gas tax needed to be equalized recently because it had been a it had been set so long ago that it didn't actually adjust for inflation. And and so proportionately, the amount that was allocated to go to roads kept decreasing and decreasing. And so there was a reset there. But yeah, I anticipate um, that there will be tax cuts, especially after the, the pushback that um, came against the legislature after their last attempt at tweaking the taxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's <laughs> certainly true. Um of course, uh, you know, following the 2020 census, uh, I believe they'll be launching it on redistricting. Is that? Is that? They, yeah, they will. And that's actually, um, I was in the, during the last redistricting. And so that will be something that, that will be, um, it, it's, a, it's a really interesting process. It can be quite difficult. Um, during the last redistricting, all of the House and Senate seats in the state um, were voted on unanimously. So Democrats and Republicans alike agreed on how that was kind of carved up. Um, but there was um, distinct differences on the congressional districts, and I think you'll see that again um, this year. And, and the demographics always change. You know, every decade there um, there's increased growth along the Wasatch Front. There's uh, a lot of times there's decrease, at least um, relatively, if not re- raw numbers, in the rural areas of Utah. And that will, I'm sure, continue this this um, cycle as well. well. Are there other issues that uh, you've got your eye on that uh, perhaps we wouldn't have on our radar? Um, there's always some surprise issues, so I don't know yet. I looked last night at the list. There's um, currently under 300 bills that have been unveiled to the public, but that number will more than double um, before the session's over. I, I think it'll be interesting to see some of the, um, the uh, bills addressing intergenerational poverty, homelessness, affordable housing. Um, Those a lot of times go together in mental health um, support. So we'll see if we can get some of those bills and and their sponsors to talk to each other. Uh, This headline jumps out at me. This is Deseret News. Uh, Utah Senate President to Salt Lake Schools. No more excuses for delaying in-person classes. Uh, The Lieutenant Governor, now Governor, uh, weighed in on this as well, I believe, during the campaign. Um, that, that's I'm sure they're going to be seen at the local level as the as the state weighing in unnecessarily. There's always a little bit of tension there, at least sometimes. But it looks yeah, like yeah. So that was a, that's an interesting issue, and it's still not all the way unfolded. So actually, um, the governor-elect did not weigh in until after this the school board had said, "Yeah, okay, we'll figure out a plan um, to go forward." So what happened? or what is continuing to happen, actually, is in the Salt Lake City School District, legislators um, are really wanting them to go back to in-person education. And it's been online, and they have the, the school board has had the stance of when it's safe. And, and then every other school district has gone back. The data shows that there is not significant spread at the schools, and, and Salt Lake School District had not gone back. So the school district board, the board, has seemed to really be dragging their feet. And so this was the legislature's way of saying, uh, if you want the $1,500 bonus for your teachers, they have to go back to school. It seems to me still to be a little bit unfair. 
um, maybe a lot unfair to hold teachers hostage to decisions that they don't really have any input in. But they they seem to have worked it out. Teachers are prioritized for vaccinations. They're going to be starting back-to-school classes. But here's a funny twist that I saw yesterday, and that is that students in the school district are lobbying to keep education online. So interesting <laughs> sometimes sometimes you can't win yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i hadn't heard that uh, we just have about three minutes left uh definitely want to get this in you've you've you you mentioned that you got into politics uh, on a particular issue and uh, i guess having no experience in it you you started <laughs> uh, approaching the legislature it took you five years or something to, to to get it passed but what would you say to citizens who have a particular issue that they're concerned about uh how best to approach legislators? How how best to have influence? I, I think there's a couple of things to remember, and one is to be concise. Um, legislators are so overwhelmed with um, email and contact. This year, it's almost exclusively going to be on email. They may get hundreds a day, and so you want to be very explicit in your um, subject line. Uh, please support House Bill, you know, thirty nine. Um, and then you want to be really succinct in what you tell them in your in the body of your email. Another thing to remember is that um, legislators, like all people, um, like to be recognized as a person. And so if you're emailing a legislator, make sure you know if it's a man or a woman, if they're a representative or they're a senator. Don't call them the wrong name. Don't call them the wrong gender um, because, you know, you want your voice to be heard. But the other thing is to not be afraid of the process, right? I was super, super scared um, to to testify in front of committee the first time. My voice was cracking and I was shaking. And you know what? Legislators are people too, and and they've been where you are, and they understand that it's scary to to sometimes approach and talk about things, especially if you feel like your um, opinion isn't in the major uh, isn't in the majority. But if you'll go ahead and do that, and you can you can comment on committee meetings via Zoom this year. You don't even have to leave your house. You don't have to find parking. You don't have to get a babysitter. You can listen to the meetings on Zoom and be a member of the public who's commenting, and I would encourage people to do that. Uh, Father, just about a, a couple of minutes left. Um, I I can't let you go without talking about this. This really resonated with me. You've done a TED Talk on this and, and, and written about it. The TED Talk's uh, titled, When Following Your Heart Leads to Burnout. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so listening to the TED Talk, reading your article, I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, we, we always emphasize the, the wonderful aspects of following your heart. There's some downside, too, and you, you say you need to protect your heart as well. Yeah, so it's, it's really interesting. Um, I actually am a Ph.D. student, and I am getting ready to do my dissertation work. So I'm, I'm done except for the dissertation, and what I'm really looking at is burnout in humanitarian aid volunteers. And, and so it really, um, because of personal experience and what I have seen doing international humanitarian work, there, I, there were people who started to describe emotional trauma and burnout without actually using those words. And when I started to look into the research that's been done, it's almost non-existent. Um, burnout's described in terms of your job, your profession, and, you know, you can take time off and don't work nights and weekends and, you know, put your phone on silent after 5 p.m., those kinds of things. But that does not address people who can't do that. And so parents can't do that, and parents do burnout. Um, volunteers could quit, but if you're a volunteer with 
your own organization, for example, a lot of these little nonprofits, they're funded as passion projects and, and nobody's really paid. Um, if you burn out, then your organization dies. And if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to create a new business, you can't just say, oh, my gosh, I'm burning out. I think I'll take a three- or six-month sabbatical, right? I mean, you, you just can't do it. And so then it becomes how do you protect yourself and your emotional well-being. And I, my favorite go-tos are things like meditation and uh, a, a really uh, focused practice on gratitude and journaling and, and uh, mindfulness and meditation. So those are my go-tos. Very good. Good good advice. You can find some of those uh, suggestions at hollyrichardson.org. Uh, and Holly Richardson is editor, new editor of Utah Policy Daily. You can find them at utahpolicy.com. Holly Richardson, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Uh, coming up following a break, we'll continue this discussion with Damon Can, USU political science professor. Hope you'll stay with us following the break. 2021 legislative coverage on UPR is supported by Southern Utah University with online programs designed to provide flexibility and affordability, helping accelerate the path to professional achievement with a variety of degree options. Information available at suu.edu slash online. This Week in This American Life. Growing up black in Russia, Elena always dreamed about who she might marry if she came to America. One day, da-da-da-da, he'll be tall and black, da-da-da-da. <laughs> Whose song was that? And then, visits America, which is less filled with princes than a person might think. It's this week. Tune in Saturday morning at 10 here on Utah Public Radio. I'm Jay Ellison, producer of The Moth Radio Hour, and I hope you'll join us for our show here on Utah Public Radio with true personal stories told live without notes to standing room crowds around the world. Moth shows are renowned for the range of human experience they reveal. That's The Moth Radio Hour, Saturday evening at 6, right here on Utah Public Radio. Well, on this part of Access Utah, today we're talking with uh, Damon Kand. He's a professor of political science at uh, Utah State uh, University. We want to do a legislative uh, preview. The, the legislative session begins on Tuesday. But, Professor Ken, I want to uh, first uh, get your reaction. Uh, just talk a little bit about uh, the extraordinary events, unprecedented events going on in Washington, D.C., the second impeachment of a president. Um, just that was an extraordinary scene yesterday. Yes, uh, you know, we've used the word unprecedented a lot in the last year or so, uh, perhaps even an unprecedented number of times. Yes. And uh, um, we've, we just haven't seen something quite like this before. Uh, one of the unique things about it is how close it is to the end of the president's term. Uh, and in fact, uh, the Senate won't be preparing uh, to take this up. Even on an expedited schedule, the Senate won't take this up until the day before President-elect Biden's inauguration. Uh, and so uh, senators will have to make some choices about what they feel like uh, is an appropriate course of action, uh, potentially even after the fact uh, when Trump has left office. And so uh, I suppose the uh, people might wonder, well, why take it up at all if the Trump's already left office? 
Yeah, uh, there's, there's. Uh, th I think that's a fair question, and I think that's one that uh, our elected officials in the Senate are going to have to weigh carefully and heavily. Uh, the argument coming out from some uh, Republicans being, you know, let you know, the, the, let the past be past. Let's come together and move forward. Uh, but there's a couple of arguments coming out uh, in favor of continuing uh, the uh, impeachment proceedings, the, the trial in the Senate. Um, and uh, one of them is that you know we we can't let things go when they're very serious and very significant. Uh, and the other argument is that the Constitution does grant the Senate the ability to prevent someone who's been impeached and removed from office from ever holding office again uh, in the United States. So uh, where there have been some rumblings about Trump running again for president in 2024, uh, continuing the impeachment trial would give uh, the senators the ability to make a decision on whether or not Trump is fit for office should he choose to run again in the future. What's your, uh, I imagine you'll be watching this as a political scientist, but uh, what's your thought, what's your prediction? Um, uh, Mr. Trump uh, still seems to have uh, quite a bit of support among the uh, the base, Republican base, who potentially would be primary voters, and therefore Mr. Trump may have influence going forward. Yeah, there's a good question. Uh, you know, uh, President Trump identified, uh, you know, some years ago while he was running and said, uh, you know, if I went out on Fifth Avenue in New York and shot someone, I still wouldn't lose my supporters. And uh, uh, that's proven to be a fairly, uh, well, we, we haven't seen that specific course of action and, and certainly hope that we will not see that course of action. I don't expect we will. Uh, but uh, it, it, it you know, proved to that, that he had a clear understanding early on of how dedicated many of his core supporters are. And so uh, it remains uh, something to be seen uh, as how, how much of a hold Donald Trump will continue to have on the Republican Party uh, once he has left, left uh, the office of the presidency. Yesterday in the impeachment vote, we started to see some signs that his uh, grip is weakening on the Republican Party with 10 Republicans in the House of Representatives uh, uh, voting uh, in favor of impeachment. Uh, but we also have to keep in mind that only represents something on the order of uh, 5% or so of the Republicans in the House of Representatives. So I think it's going to take some time uh, for Republicans to figure uh, forward what role uh, Trump, and uh, especially for those seeking office, well, what role Trump supporters will play in the party in the years that lie ahead. One of the unprecedented things uh, you talked about, um, the storming of the Capitol, um, there hasn't been a breach like this since, what, uh, you know, the War of 1812? Well, Yes, the, the War of 1812 is really the closest thing that we have uh, to this kind of an event. Uh, uh, although in that instance, it was British forces that had invaded a, a foreign uh, government uh, that was uh, sending troops in, uh, and they attempted to burn down the capital. Uh, and uh, um, in terms of, of Americans uh, storming, uh, the Capitol. This is uh, this is unprecedented. There's that word again. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yes, this is an exceptionally uncommon 
uh, event uh, and and really without parallel in American history. It seems that we can't totally predict the future, but it seems like going forward, uh, President Trump, uh, in this case, ex-President Trump in a, in a week, um, looks like he's likely to uh, perhaps continue to use as a litmus test, a loyalty litmus test, uh, for Republicans especially. Um, do, you, do, you, do you support his assertions the election was stolen, or do you not? And so that looks like that's likely to go forward. Yes, I, I think, uh, um, you know, uh, the, the uh, um, conservative news media, conservative-leaning news media, uh, many uh, individuals uh, reporting from that vantage point, uh, uh, you know, perpetuated uh, Trump's claims and spread Trump's claims about uh, the election having had irregularities. Of course, uh, you know, we have uh, people from within Trump's own administration uh, when they are in court or in other legal settings not making claims, um, you know, even affirming that this was a straightforward, free and fair election, um, uh, as well as people, for, of course, from outside the president's administration. But uh, I think this one is going to be uh, with us for a while. You know, as I've, I've said uh, in a couple of forums, uh, the election is over, but some of the country is not yet over the election. Mm-hmm. And it's going to take some time, and I, I think there will, there will continue to be uh, many Republicans who feel like the election was not uh, a free and fair election, uh, notwithstanding the evidence to the contrary. Well, I hate to go back to that word for unprecedented again, but uh, this is unprecedented, right? Uh, every every time yeah. before in a, in a presidential <laughs> um, race, the, the losing candidate has conceded. It looks like uh, this candidate's never going to concede. Uh, I don't know. It's, does that tear at the fabric of, uh, of the democratic system? You know, it's certainly not good for democracy for us to uh, have... Um, uh, have uh, someone unwilling to accept the outcomes of a free and fair election. Um, I, I do think that the country will heal from this. I do think that it will take some time. Um, but we have a number of, of prominent Republicans, uh, Mitch McConnell coming out, and uh, as well as others, saying, look, this, this election's done, it's happened, it was legitimate, and we're ready to move forward. And, uh, you know, the, the Republican Party... Uh, uh, Some people have used the term shambles, and the Republican Party needs to do some soul-searching. There are hundreds of millions of people who are out there voting Republicans consistently and regularly. Uh, I think the key for success for the Republican Party is to find a way to to step past uh, the events of this election and then be ready to put their best foot forward the next go-around. Every time we uh, we have a presidential election, it feels like the party that loses, uh, there's a lot of um, hand-wringing and, and, and sometimes a lot of blaming. But in the end, that party, historically, for well over 100 years, has been able to come back in another election cycle or two and be able to mount a legitimate, strong, competitive challenge to the party that beat them in the previous election. So uh, 
certainly there are some challenges in the short term for the Republican Party to wrestle with. Uh, but I don't think that we should expect that core principles of conservatism uh, and, and, and mainstream republicanism are dead. Uh, it's just going to take a little bit of time for Republicans to find a new set of leadership that are ready to lead the, par- lead the party forward. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think we'll see Republicans being successful in national elections again uh, before too much time passes. You say it'll take a time, but the, the nation will heal. It's, uh, that's a hopeful note. Do you, you believe that? Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, uh, pol- politics at times can get pretty rough and tumble. Uh, we've been through lots of challenges uh, as a country in our history. Uh, one of the remarkable things about our system is that uh, we really had two forms of government as a country. We had the Articles of Confederation for a brief period of time, and then we've had uh, our Constitution uh, for a very, very long time. We've only had one civil war as a country. Uh, you compare that to the, the history of, of other countries like, say, a France or a Spain, uh, and it's remarkable uh, what we've seen is the resilience of the American democracy. And uh, uh, and and I, I think given that we've done such a good job of making it past problems and challenges in the past, I think, uh, you know, if, 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 while, while wounds will take some time to heal, uh, I think uh, if, if we can find the right leadership uh, moving forward, um, across the board in American politics uh, that we'll find ways to step past this, uh, heal some wounds, uh, and, uh, and and continue as a strong and resilient democracy. Well, let's make a transition to Utah and the, and the legislature. Uh, here's a segue. The Utah Capitol is uh, announced to close the public for the start of the legislative uh, session. Uh, that's because, uh, I guess, re- we've seen reports that uh, similar groups that uh, stormed the U.S. Capitol, um, I assume similar groups, ha- have announced plans to, um, you know, to to be there and protest the inauguration, but also uh, to to protest at uh, state capitals. Yes, uh, you know I, I, the uh, the Utah State Capitol. One of the remarkable things about it is. Uh, that there, that it really is regarded in Utah state politics as the people's house, and so uh, uh, it's very easy to come in, get access, walk through. You're not looking at metal detectors or any number of different uh, kinds of restrictions or checkpoints that you would see, uh, you even say at the federal uh, capital, uh, typically. Uh, and you know, there's certainly some anxiety right now. And uh, as a country, we need to improve and get past the point where we feel like political violence is okay. And it is just a very small percentage of, of Americans who uh, are willing to support or engage in those kinds of activities. We just need to make sure that that's not something that becomes normalized. And I think it's an abundance of caution uh, taken by uh, the Utah State Legislature to make sure that uh, um, that their legislators that our legislators can uh, engage in the legislative process safely, productively. Uh, certainly, coronavirus uh, plays into this as well, wanting to maintain a safe and, and healthy uh, environment on the pandemic front as well. 
Uh, but I, I suspect that as things get going, um, that things will open up somewhat more in terms of access to the legislative process. If you just joined us, we're talking with Damon Can. He's a professor of political science at Utah State University. Uh, so, uh, what are you? Uh, what are you seeing? What, what are you expecting as uh, top priorities uh, for this twenty twenty one session of the legislature? Well, there's a, a, a lot of things going on. Uh, legislative sessions always a busy time in in Utah with a relatively short legislative session, uh, but a lot of state to govern. Uh, so a couple of things I'm watching for. Uh, first of all, I, you just mentioned coronavirus. Um, there's going to be some legislation I expect uh, that pertain not uh, some. There will be some legislation dealing with coronavirus specifically, I'm sure. Uh, but I think we'll also see some legislation discussing the governor's use of emergency powers. Um, we uh, have, um, you know, virtually all states uh, give the governor their governor. Uh, broad uh, power and capabilities to govern in the event of a major emergency. Usually we've been thinking of things like earthquakes in the Utah context, hurricanes elsewhere. We don't really see that here. Um, or, or other major natural disasters where we might think that for, say, a period of a week or for several weeks, the governor needs to be able to take action. Uh, in the state of Utah, uh, at some point, the legislature has been, uh, the governor gets 30 days uh, of emergency powers, and then the emergency declaration expires. Uh, in the state of Utah, Governor Herbert has simply issued new emergency declarations at the end of those 30-day time periods. And some members of the legislature have had some level of unease with that. Uh, I think not so much that... Uh, that they are upset with what Governor Herbert is doing, although certainly there's disagreements in some cases, but some concerns uh, about what what the role of the legislature should be in managing an ongoing crisis rather than allowing that to just stay in the executive branch. Uh, On the flip side, we have a brand-new governor. Uh, 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 Governor Cox has a strong reputation for being willing to work with the legislature, uh, and has engaged with them uh, through the course of the pandemic. And so, uh, you know, as, as a new governor and the new legislature trying to feel each other out, there will be some interesting discussions about what the governor's powers should be in an emergency context moving forward. Uh, it looks like maybe some momentum around tax cuts. Uh, certainly some possibility, and that's something that we're discussing uh, probably in most legislative sessions uh, in the state of Utah, um, uh, there's a, a little bit of uh, um, uh, anxiety among some Utahns after the, the Trump tax cut package passed nationally. That had implications for uh, the, the amount of taxes that people paid on their state return, uh, their, their state taxes, if states didn't take action to stop that. Uh, and so that could be an item that gets a little bit of attention uh, as the legislature convenes in this session here in just a couple of weeks. I imagine the the pandemic will, uh, you know, will, will play a part. Some priorities will be shaped by that. I'm reading that the uh, Salt Lake Chamber of Commerce uh, wants some easing of regulations on businesses to, to help. Yes, I think we'll see uh, some broad discussions of that. Uh, liability discussions for businesses are a big issue. 
Um, and, and we'll probably see some more discussions on those kinds of things. Um, and all of this happens uh, against the uh, backdrop of a rapidly changing public health landscape uh, because as more and more vaccine comes out uh, and comes available, more and more people are eligible and able to receive the vaccine. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll be, the, the legislature, I would, the, the one prediction of which I'm sure is that the legislature will be governing a very different pandemic structure at the end of the session than they will be at the beginning of the session. And so that certainly, uh, that shifting backdrop uh, makes some of the legislation more difficult. But still, I, I, the, my expectation from the legislature is to see easing regulations and restrictions on businesses and probably moving towards reducing rather than increasing restrictions uh, over the scope of the session. Some advocates I'm reading are uh, concerned the effects of the economic downturn occasioned by the pandemic uh, is putting some families uh, at risk of homelessness. Uh, and so they're, they're advocating for some measures at the legislature to help, to help with that. Yes, homelessness is an issue we've been wrestling with in, in Utah for uh, for some time. Uh, in fact, uh, the uh, uh, Operation Rio Grande and some of the associated um, homelessness measures were some of Governor uh, Governor Cox's um, you know uh, biggest issues prior to the pandemic that helped him to gain a little more visibility and and where. Um, you know, he started to uh, carry a little bit higher of a pro, uh, public profile uh, than is typical for for many lieutenant governors uh, in Utah. Uh, so uh, it, then uh, also wrapped up in this, as you mentioned, is the pandemic, uh, and then our, our housing affordability issues in Utah, as we see even through the economic downturn associated with the pandemic, we haven't seen uh, decreases in real estate prices. In fact, they continue to escalate. And so all of these factors uh, are, are putting a lot of pressure on housing needs. And so I, I think we will see some discussion of housing. Uh, in terms of, of COVID, uh, um, I, I think we may see some discussion about um, you know, a, a moratorium on evictions or some of those kinds of things. Uh, there's always ongoing discussions about uh, what the level of support should be for homeless shelters and some of those kinds of things. And then there will, I expect we'll see some housing affordability discussions as well uh, to see if there are things the state might do to help there. Uh, however, uh, uh, the legislature's tendency has been to focus on what cities can do with their zoning uh, to affect housing prices but hasn't looked as aggressively at other options and other causes of, uh, of increasing uh, prices. And, and some of those are out of the legislature's control as well. I mean, we've seen huge escalations in, in uh, costs of building materials uh, and, and construction costs, uh, and those are outside the hands of the legislature to deal with unless the legislature is willing to go to some sort of subsidy model I think you're going to see the Utah State Legislature be very hesitant at going in that direction. Well, we're just about at the end of uh, time here. Uh, anything else uh, that you'd like to say about the upcoming session? Well, I, I think the one other major issue that we're going to see a lot of discussion on is policing and police reform. 
And uh, uh, we already saw some measures uh, taken by the state legislature banning uh, carotid chokeholds uh, in, uh, in, in the summer. And I think there's going to be a great deal more discussion about uh, policing, um, both in terms of use of force and also you know, there's some stuff on, on uh, biometrics and facial recognition that could be really interesting where you'll see teams like the ACLU and the Libertas uh, Institute, uh, who are usually you know, fighting against each other, coming together to work together on uh, issues regarding privacy. Uh, and so there will be some, uh, some interesting mixing of coalitions, I think, as we see police uh, reform discussions uh, in the upcoming session. Well, thank you so much. Damon Can is a professor of political science at Utah State University. You've been helping us uh, to preview the 2021 session of the Utah Legislature. Professor, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. It's American Roots Live in concert and conversation with New Orleans artists connecting family traditions to new music. Singer, cellist, banjo player Layla McCalla invokes French Creole roots. Then saxophonist Donald Harrison brings soul, funk, and black carnival to jazz on American Roots from PRX. Tune in Saturday evening at 8 here on Utah Public Radio. A statewide service of Utah State University's College of Humanities and Social Sciences. This is KUSR Logan, KUSUFM Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, MOAP, KUST Price, KCEU, and streaming online at upr.org. What is climate change? How is it affecting our lives? And what can we do about it? We'll connect the dots from energy to extreme weather, public health, the economy, agriculture, and more. Catch Climate Connections weekday mornings at 549 and 849 on Morning Edition and afternoons at 348 during All Things Considered here on Utah Public Radio.